Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. I am Mitchell Kaminsky. How are you? What a week of sports we just had. Boy, I tell you, did you waste your time like I did watching that route on Monday night? That was tough. I mean, what what a waste of a Monday night that was. Watching they, they, the Baylor ran Gonzaga out of the gym. Like, it was over within the first, like, ten minutes of that game. You could tell, like, Jesus outmatched but um you know at least we got some fun names out of it there are some great name combinations like how do you not like drew timmy you know the old south park every time he gets about especially with that look with the mustache the, the, the flow he's got with the headband oh my god what a character you gotta love tim you, you, how do you not root for tim and then for baylor i think the best name uh in college basketball tournament this year flow thombo i mean come on not only was he a beast in the paint, but that's that's got to be one of the best names by far in this tournament. You know, too, in high school, Flo Thamba, the, the parties were were lit when he was around, especially when Mo Bamba came on. You know it got hype. Chase the words that song. Flo Thamba. What a great name. What a tournament. But uh, I tell you, I, I mean, uh, I think a lot of that had to do, and I said this... Uh, even before the game, you, you could tell that the the Vegas knew something because uh, I, I like looking at the lines and stuff beforehand, going through DraftKings or whatnot, and they had like a promotion. It was like Gonzaga to score 80 points and win. And every time they do one of these promotions where it's like double odds booster, like insane odds, the last time they did it with Conor McGregor. And they suckered me into that with the Conor McGregor fight. It's like, oh, yeah, Conor McGregor's going to win. You throw 20 bucks on it, and uh, sure enough, he, he got smacked. So I saw this, and I'm like, oh. Vegas knows something. I ain't touching this one. Baylor's got. As soon as I saw that, Baylor's gonna win this game. Sure enough, they did. And a lot of this, I think. Oh, oh, we getting a call. Oh Jesus! Patrick was supposed to join us at the start of this podcast. We were in a time crunch. Uh, hold on, Pat. Let me plug you in here one sec. I'm in the middle of an episode right now, so you we're we, we're on the air. This is very high production value we got going. Now. Hello. Yeah, all right. Now we got you. Okay. Patrick Cushman now joins us. Like I said, he was supposed to be hopping out. We, we, we were time, you know, crunch. Whatever. Thank you for joining us. I was in the middle talking about uh, the, the Baylor-Gonzaga game. Uh, the point I was trying to make was I, I think this the, the game reminded me a lot of, like, the Vikings with the Minneapolis uh, miracle. Uh, they came off such an emotional high after winning one of the best college basketball games you'll ever see against UCLA with uh, overtime and a game-winning buzzer beater by Jalen Suggs. Uh, and you come off a win like that, and it's you, you have such an emotional high. All you can do is it's going to be a letdown the next one. They just came, they look like they came out flat. And the same thing happened to the Minnesota Vikings against the Eagles. They came, they had that electric win in the next game of the playoffs. They got steamrolled. I think it was uh, kind of, uh, by the uh, Eagles. I think it was kind of similar uh, to that. Uh, but I will ask you, what did you did you watch Did you watch the game? Um, I watched the first half, uh, and I'm going to make a comparison. And this time, I'm going to keep it in sport. I'm going to compare the 2014 Wisconsin Badgers. Yeah. Um, and as you know, they beat. Um, the Kentucky Wildcats, um, who were undefeated. I think they were 30-0 and at the time, or they were 29-0. and They were undefeated, looking to be the first undefeated team since God knows when. I think it was like 19... It was a long time ago. I, I don't know the exact date. Um, and, you know, you beat Kentucky, and, you know, that was, that was almost like, you know, 
the team that they lost before in the final four, and then you come out, you're heavy underdogs, and you kind of have this huge win, and everyone's so excited. We beat Kentucky. We beat Kentucky. And then they went to Duke, and, you know, it, it wasn't the same. You know, it wasn't – they kind of already had that big emotional win. So I agree with you, Mitchell. I think they did. They just really came out flat. Um, and that's what happens when you have these big emotional wins, especially lined up against each other. It's hard to match that energy, um, especially then you get down in a hole in the in the first half. Um and you just aren't able to get that momentum picked up, and they never were able to get um, get it going offensively like they've been doing all season. And um, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Baylor was a very good team. They so deservedly uh, deserved to win that game. Um, but, you know, nothing to hold. Um, Gonzaga has nothing to uh, hold their head on. Um, they, they were a great team all season, and uh, they could easily be champions right now. Yeah, I mean they they had a great roster. It was it was funny though. It was such a Gonzaga way to lose because they always seem like every year in the tournament they're always like a one seed or they're very hyped up. And it seems like in the big games they always come up a little flat. Now this one they did go farther. I think that roster wise, you look at them on paper, it was definitely the best team in America, and they they proved that this year. Like you said, this making it to the championship is nothing to shrug about. But um, Boy, they got it was like a wake up call very early on, especially in the paint. Then they Baylor got like three offensive rebounds in a row. It's like, oh geez, Gonzaga's in trouble here in this one because Baylor just looked bigger, stronger, faster, and they dominated inside. Yeah, uh, like it. I mean, both teams were very good. Um, and then once once Baylor got rolling, and they were, I mean, they were hitting threes. Um, They're dominating inside, and uh, you know they got out to that big lead. Um, and Gonzaga never was never able to get it going. Baylor rode that momentum throughout the entire game. Um, didn't let their foot off the gas, which you'd see a lot of times. They were able to keep focus um, and never let um, Gonzaga get back into it. And that takes a lot of mental strength. Um, and so, you know, they like I said, they deserve to win that game. They played really well all throughout the tournament, um, and especially in the final. You know, they really did come to play. They right. came in wanting to win that game um and they came in with the attitude to win and they ended up winning now credit i do give credit uh coach baylor coach scott drew he's been there since 2003 that was a long rebuild they had over there to overhaul that program and you know what if you a lot of these teams you're very quick to fire a head coach uh in college or uh athletics uh, they they stuck with them for all these years and it has paid off. They are now national champions. So congratulations to Baylor. Um, it's a damn shame though for Drew Timmy. I really liked, especially every time he got the ball. I always did the the South Park Timmy, but uh, you know what are you gonna do? Anyway, uh, moving on. We had a big trade in the NFL this week. Uh, our guy Sam Darnold. We we thought the judge should hang on to him. They chose to go another direction. He has been dealt to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, for a couple draft picks, I believe it was a second, sixth, and a fourth, maybe? There's three of them in there. Um, I think this, it was a sixth this year, and then a second next year, um, and then something else. You're right. There I think it was like a fourth. Thing. Yeah. Um, 
That was a later round. I actually, so for the Panthers, it showed me two things. Like, one, I think uh, Matt Rule, very aggressive head coach, wants to push the ball downfield. They didn't believe Teddy Bridgewater could do that. And you also get a little bit more mobile. And I don't think they gave up all that much. I feel like the, there was teams desperate enough out there where I feel like the Jets probably could have gotten maybe a first-round pick out of it, maybe a late first-round, or at least two multiple seconds. I didn't think they got a good enough return um, and now the Panthers are getting a big, strong, mobile quarterback. Now, I do question he doesn't have the amount of weapons. I mean, the weapons in Carolina aren't great. You do have Christian McCaffrey, which is nice. Uh, the perimeter could be a little bit better. The offensive line, so-so. But it's definitely an improvement for where he was uh, in the, in New York. Um, but I think the Jets made a mistake there. I think they could have used that second pick and traded it and gotten a good haul and or drafted um, – uh, they could have gotten an you know, offensive lineman up there when Sewell or uh, the tight end for Florida Pitt. I, I think that was a mistake. What were your reactions to the trade? Um, uh, yeah, I, I kind of had the same reaction as you, and we texted about it. Yeah, um, too. In fact, and I thought that they could have, and you know, they could have gotten a treasure trove for that second overall pick, and they wouldn't. They could have only moved back to five and six and gotten you know a proven you know. NFL talent at six or seven and gotten a lot of picks back um, for it. Uh, so I really don't. I, and then to only get a, um, a six round this year, and then it was a second and a fourth next year. Um, you know, you're not really getting much. Um, so I, I really, I don't know. It's tough to say. And for Carolina, I, I thought that they were going to draft a quarterback of where, of where they're at. They still might. Um, but it's pretty obvious Teddy Bridgewater's time in Carolina um, is done, and I really just don't see how where he could start anywhere else in the league. Um, and for a guy who was very well sought after um, in free agency last year, he really didn't work out in Carolina. He wasn't the best. Um, and Teddy Bridgewater, you know, he's a great guy, hard work ethic, especially coming after that horrendous injury he had. But um, you really have to surround him with a lot of talent for him to be good. Um, and in Carolina, they did not have that. Um, so it, it's um, going to be a new era in New York um, with uh, Zach Wilson. Uh, pretty, I think, number one and two are locked in. I don't see that New York drafting anyone else. Um, and so will this, be the, will this be a continuing trend? Will Zach Wilson be able to succeed? No. Um, I, I'll tell you I right mean, now, I, I don't think he will because with Sam Darnold, you had a bigger, stronger, more athletic version of Zach Wilson. Like Zach Wilson's got some arm strength, not quite as athletic though. And if you look at the supporting cast that they're surrounding him with, you're set up for failure every time you go into New York. And that's been shown time and time again. If you look at their trend with first round draft picks, 2017, draft Jamal Adams, they trade him. 2016, uh, they draft Darren Lee, they trade him to the Chiefs. 2015, they drafted Leonard Williams, traded him to the Giants. 2014, they drafted a safety, Calvin Pryor, traded him to the Browns. 2013, they uh, drafted Sheldon Richardson, traded him to the Seahawks. And the last guy they didn't trade, because th- th- this has been six trades of first-round picks in a row, uh, was D. Uh, Milliner, and they cut him in 2013. They cut him in 2016. Yeah. So, I mean, this is more of a Jets problem, and a co- I-, I think, than... Uh, these players because you look at there's some decent play like Sheldon Richardson uh Jamal Adams there's some good players in that list and they're thriving is ever since they they left uh New York New York's I think holding them back it's just a bad culture up there there's been no really good quarterbacks 
outside Joe Namath, and you could argue Chad Pennington if you really wanted to. But I'm that have like actually succeeded in New York. I mean, they they don't they haven't had a really good franchise quarterback since Joe Namath. So uh, good luck to Zach Wilson there. I don't th- I don't see that working out. Yeah, um, like you said, you know, just continual. And I think a lot of it is the organization that you're drafted into. Um, I really do think Sam Darnold's talented, uh, and he was drafted into a very toxic, a very bad organization, and he hasn't been able to succeed. Maybe um, Matt Rule, this is really kind of his, um, I mean, last year, you know, was kind of a wash. He didn't really have, you know, a good team and didn't really have the pieces he would have liked. Um and so this is, you know, kind of his test of how good he is as a head coach is how he handles Darnold and if he can develop him. Um, and if he can, you know, we could look back on this in 10 years um, and Matt Rule could be a genius or, um, you know, we could forget about him completely. So I think that this is a big test for Matt Rule to see um, how he can make Sam Darnold because the talent is there. We all saw him coming in to the NFL from the draft. He is very talented. He has NFL level stuff. Um and so we'll be we'll uh, we'll see. This could be the best thing to ever happen to Sam Darnold. You know, he's very young um, because he was a a junior coming into the draft. Um, you know, he's he's uh, he's only 23, 24. Um, so he has plenty of time to turn around his career and be successful. I just hope he didn't get his confidence shot completely in New York. But I, I agree. He does have plenty of time to be successful. And if you look at the Panthers last year, it wasn't a very good team. They had a very bad defense on paper. Wasn't a whole lot to work with, and they remained competitive. They played tough. They were not out of a ton of games. They they took the Chiefs to the wire, won the AFC. Uh, so that was a competitive team. I think Sam Darnold's going to be in a much better situation. I think Matt Rule does a good job as a head coach. I think he'll be able to get a lot out of him. He runs more of a college-style offense, so maybe Sam Darnold will be more comfortable there. And you got... Uh, you got. He's never had a player like Christian McCaffrey alongside him, so that should help. And we'll see who the Panthers draft this year. Maybe you get uh, a little bit of offensive line support, maybe another outside weapon. It's a very deep receiver draft. And I think, yeah, I think he could be set up for success. This could be a great uh, move for him. Um, was, was there any other? And so I, I think we got our answers, though, as far as the top quarterbacks are going. Yeah, I think it looks from what it looks like, the 49ers are going to take Mac uh, uh, Mac Jones number two. But uh, with the trade, do you see any big shakeups? How it affects how some of these other teams uh, draft? Because I'll tell you, I actually think looking at the price they gave up for Sam Darnold, I am surprised that the a team like the Broncos didn't make him an offer because the Broncos are like the opposite. They have almost all the pieces in place on offense except for the quarterback. I think you're getting an upgrade uh, from Drew Locke with Sam Darnold. Uh, Drew Locke's athletic, but I think Sam Darnold's much more much more athletic. He can take more punishment. He's got a little bit of a better arm. Um, I think that would have been, I, I would have tra- made a trade for him, possibly. But do you, sh- do you see it was shaking up how any of these other teams uh, act draft night or as far as what they do going forward? Um, well, with, I think with the two top quarterbacks um, pretty much picked up in the first two and San Francisco also getting a quarterback, that's still a little bit up in the air. Um, like I said, I could, I think if Trey Lance falls to Carolina, I think that they could take him too. Um, I really thought that they were going to take him before the trade. Um, I think Atlanta could be in contention for a quarterback. I don't think this trade really 
impacts that much, although I think Carolina may be less likely, but they still could. Um, we'll see. I mean, this is this um, quarterback class is very, um, with the exception of Trevor Lawrence, has seen a lot of up and downs. You know, Justin Fields was consensus number two, and then Zach Wilson, and now Mac Jones is a Mac Jones went, you know, from being a fringe prospect last year to now being, you know, the favorite to be taken number three overall. Um, so this quarterback class has been very up and down. Um, and we'll see. I mean, this is, I mean, I can't even predict it. it it's been so, it's been so volatile. Um, but maybe um, Carolina, I just, I just don't see someone falling out of the top 10 out of those four quarterbacks. I think that um, there's such a need for quarterbacks in this league. Um, and you need one to win. Um, it's been proven. You need a quarterback to win. Um, teams are going to be looking to trade up. Like you said, Denver, they could look to move up and take someone like Justin Fields. Um, or if Mac Jones falls or if Trey Lance or, you know, you never know. Especially, um, yeah, especially with Vic Vangio, who I think if he doesn't win this year, they don't show much more improvement. He's on the hot seat. So I think they you he'd, he'd be putting pressure on the front office to try and, you know, make a move, get him a quarterback. Um, we'll see how it goes. You know, I think you might be right. I think the Mac Jones might be a smokescreen because they've already worked out uh, Lance for his second pro day. So we'll see there. But you mentioned this over at Texas. It's like every year they have these hyped-up quarterback classes, and very rarely do all of them turn out to be good. So we will see. I mean, we're all, we're all assuming Trevor Lawrence is going to be good and all, all signs point to who he is. But after that, it's kind of – you're kind of buying lottery tickets at that point, so we right. We, and, uh, the the thing that I sent you was, you know, um, you know, Winston and Mariota were the, you know, at one point one of the highest um, high draft quarterback draft classes. You know, um, he had a, two Heisman winners, um, both won national champ. No, uh, Oregon lost that national championship, but you know, two guys who were playing at the top of their game in college football. Going one two, everyone thought that they're going to be electric, and uh, now both of them are backups. Um, so, um, like, yeah, and that happens in every draft. You know, there's always going to be a Josh Rosen, um, and there's always going to be someone that falls a little bit behind and isn't as good as anyone says. Uh, and this year is going to be no different. So, interesting nugget: quarterbacks have only gone number one, two, and three in the draft twice in the common draft era. And those two times was 1999. And here's a list of quarterbacks. Tim Couch, known as a bust. Donovan McNabb, solid career. And then Achilles Smith, who was definitely a bust with the Bengals. And then the other one was in 1971, Jim Plunkett, Archie Manning, and Dan Pastorini. That's a little bit better. I think all three of those guys had solid careers. But, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. Uh, let's turn to, let's talk a little baseball here. I'm a very upset with my White Sox right now. Um, I think the managing of the bullpen has been horrendous. And you know what's frustrating about this, too? And I think we talked about this last time on the podcast. Tony La Russa was hired to avoid making the mistakes that Rick Renteria did. 
We were promised we are not going to get outmanaged with this guy at the helm. Uh, he's supposed to know how to manage the bullpen very well. And from what I have seen, it has been kind of a shit show out there. Uh, he doesn't let the starters go very deep in the games. I think he gave Giolito kind of a quick hook on opening night. Uh, the bullpen's been asked to pitch at least four-plus innings every night, so they're getting taxed out there. Last night's game against Seattle is just another installment where he let Matt Foster come in the game, which wasn't a bad decision bringing Matt Foster in, but... He allowed him to face eight batters. It was clear he didn't have his stuff. The game was tied after he just let in uh, the tying run and with the bases loaded, and they didn't pull him. And you have Aaron Bummer at your disposal. Like, the White Sox bullpen has the most guys in the MLB that throw 97-mile-an-hour-plus pitches out of anyone in baseball. So there's a cupboard of talented guys at his disposal that he did not go to, left him in too long, and then what do you know, a four-run lead all of a sudden turns into an 8-4 deficit. So that kind of pissed me off. Then a couple nights earlier, they bring in Jose Ruiz to start the ninth. You just have Liam Hendricks, who you signed the offseason, as a shiny new toy, and you don't want to use him. Which is like, okay, fine, you don't want to pitch him two innings, whatever. But why, why are you letting Jose Ruiz start the inning? That was dumb. You already, you already got your inning out of him. Like, I don't know why they let him start the inning, and it came back to bite him. I think he's pulling starters too early. The management of the bullpen overall has been kind of terrible. He got outmanaged yesterday. I'm kind of pissed off, to be completely honest, because it's starting to make me wonder. And it's still very early, so we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but... Maybe Dave Duncan was the one pulling all the strings in St. Louis here because this does not look like a manager that you say like, oh yeah, we're not going to get out managed. I, I'm quite, I'm very upset. That was a game we should not have lost yesterday. Yeah, and um, also too, uh, the lineup um, that was oh made was God. very, um, 20... that, you know, before the game, you, you kind of look at it and you're thinking, wow, what is this? Is this the 2017 white? Yeah, I did not sit through a rebuild yeah. to watch Jake Lamb bat second. Yeah, um, I mean, an offense ended up not really being the problem. Um, it was the fact that we gave up uh, it was six or seven runs in one inning. Seven. Yeah, it, it, we give up a seven spot. I don't care who's batting. You're not going to win the damn game. Um, and it, Yeah, and then uh, opening weekend, um, it might have been opening night or the third game of the series. Um, you know, it's first and third. Um, and you have a three and one count on Mike Trout, um, and, and you throw a ball right in the zone, and he nails a double off you and scores two runs. And, and I know you don't want to walk bases loaded, but you're down three and one um, in the count. I'd rather you walk him than throw him a pitch down the than throw the best baseball player on the planet right now a fastball. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it's. You look at some of these things that he's doing, and it's um, it is puzzling, and it is um, it, they are head scratchers, and but it is early. Um, but you know, come uh, you know October, late September, um, and you know there could be a fight for the division, and we'll be one or two games out of it, um, and we could miss the playoffs by one game, uh, and these are the games you look at, yeah. right? The, the game, oh, you know, we could have had that one. Oh, we could have had that one. And, uh, oh, we could have had that one where you're just a little bit outmanaged, but it's fine because it's early in the year. Those are the ones that come to bite you um, in the end. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, this is the end-all be I'm not saying, you know, I don't think they're a playoff team. I really think they are. Um, but, you know, like you said, Mitchell, I mean, there's something that needs to change. And we were promised that we weren't going to be outmanaged. 
when we signed Tony, when we got Tony Larusa, you know, it was this was a proven winner that was going to bring winning baseball. And so far, we haven't seen that. Um, and hopefully, it'll change. I think it's too early to make a judgment on it yet, but it's not a good sign. No, it definitely is a bit early. I. The starting pitcher thing kind of pisses me off, too. And, okay, I can understand, like, the second start with Dallas Keuchel, he needed to pull him. He didn't have his stuff. That's, you know, it, it is what it is. And yesterday, I think he pulled him at the right time, too. He let him come up with a six. That's, I have no problem with that. But opening night, Giolito probably should have stayed in the game. He's considered a workhorse. This is a guy that's supposed to pitch 200 innings. Like, I don't know why they pulled him there. Even the game before, it worked out, but I think they pulled Giolito a little bit early there. He he was dealing. He already had 10 strikeouts to five innings. They, they yanked him. Um, the other one with Dylan Cease, the game against the Angels, he had two outs in the inning, no one on, and then they pull him. Like, it's going to add up to a bullpen. You are t- overly taxing a bullpen. Uh, and that, I, you saw that with Matt Foster. I think they wanted to bring in a Michael Kopech in that situation, but they couldn't because he had just thrown two innings couple nights before and they're trying to protect his arm so that is something that's a little concerning because if you guys you you go out and add a Lance Lynn you have a Dallas Keiko who's been in the league for a while and then Lucas Giglio these are supposed to be like workhorses they're supposed to be throwing 200 innings a year uh so let them eat up some more innings I don't know the the timely hitting on offense we've had some clutch hitting situations has been sporadic at times I haven't been too happy with but I will you know what on a lighter note let's give some props to our man the Yerminator uh he has been on a tear in baseball, he just won AL Player of the Week, um, and the list of accolades he's had, just the, as far as the the history goes, for what he has done, has been um, quite impressive. So he started his career uh, five for five the first game. Uh, not a whole lot of people that have done that. Next game comes out, hits a home run, three more hits to start that. Uh, first player since 1900 uh, to start his career or uh, start a season eight for eight. Uh, and some of the other, there's some interesting other like nuggets too. He's leading the AL in batting average on base percentage and hits. You don't expect that to hold on, but um, he's the first player with three or more hits in a game three times in his first four career starts since Roy Campanella in 1948. His 12 hits in the first four games are the most of any White Sox players hit in the first four games of a season, and that surpassed a mark by Ducky Holmes, uh, who we all know and love, in 1904. He had 11. Um, and then obviously he's the first, he's also the first White Sox player with three or more hits in three games, uh, in, uh, excuse me, three or more hits in a game, three times in his first four games of a season. Um, so, you know, a lot of inch, little nuggets there for the Urminator. Uh, I'm very happy for him. This is a guy that he, he spent a decade in the minor leagues, played some independent ball, had to spend some time in the Dominican summer league. Uh, and now he's up in the show raking. So props to my man, Yerman Mercedes, who honestly, he probably wouldn't have even made the team if Eloy Jimenez got hurt. Because early in camp, Tony LaRusso said he didn't really want to take three catchers. And you remember Mercedes had an uphill battle. You have Yasmani Grandal, who is obviously safe on the roster. Then you have Zach Collins, who's a first-round draft pick. And then you bring in Jonathan Lucroy, who's the experienced veteran, former All-Star. So uh, for you remember Mercedes, it was an uphill climb to even make the team this year. And he did. And uh, he is rewarding the White Sox for their faith in him. So uh, that's a feel-good story there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, seeing him, uh, what do you go five for five on his debut? Yeah. Um, you know, definitely um, a day he'll never forget. And you know, we know. Uh, you know, we've seen our fair share of independent league baseball, mm-hmm. um, and it's really hard to go. You know, from the minor leagues to independent league, all the way back to the majors. 
Um, you know, that is a tough hill to climb, especially um, on a team like the White Sox, who has a very good roster. Um, to break into camp um, and to make the team. Um, and I really thought Luke Roy was going to make that roster. Um, I really thought they would have Luke Roy as kind of um, someone who, who could catch um, for an older pitcher, um, someone who'd be kind of used as a role model in the locker room, um, who could still, I think he, I just don't know if he had anything left. He hit decent in um, spring training. Um but he got cut, and I remember seeing Mercedes was the only player on the roster who I had no idea who the hell he was. Yeah. Because I, uh, when I saw Lucroy got cut, I'm like, oh, I guess we're taking only two catchers. I'm like, how can we only take two catchers with Jimenez being hurt? And, you know, uh, Collins obviously was going to take a lot of DH time. I'm like, we should have added a third catcher. And I look at the roster, and Yerman Mercedes, I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Um, but now all of baseball knows him. So props to him for that. He's funny, too, because I remember him a couple years ago. Like, last spring, he was like, it was another guy. He came out of nowhere because he's, like, 28 years old, which is, like, kind of old to first be breaking in to the major leagues. And he was leading all catchers in spring training. And it was a very short sample size, but he had, like, four uh, four home leading all catchers in spring training and homers. He had, like, four homers in a short span of games. Then, obviously, COVID canceled the Cactus League action and whatnot. And I was like, oh, this guy's kind of interesting. And, like, I was, like, watching, like, just looking him up. Because, like, it was the same thing. I'd never heard of him. This was last year. And his Instagram was hilarious. He had this video of him chugging, I think it looked like champagne or something, in his hotel room shirtless while dancing to music. It was like, Jesus, this guy looks like he'd be fun at a party. But, um, yeah, he, just, he came out of nowhere. So, I, I've i been happy for him. I don't, I don't, obviously, I don't think he can continue this hot stretch. Uh, he's got, like, an over 600 OPS, which... Probably won't last. I think it would be safe to assume. But uh, as of right now, he's the uh, AL MVP front runner, uh, winning, winning rookie of the player or rookie of the um, or not rookie, player of the uh, week. Um, let's go to the south, north side of town, Chicago Cubs. They're kind of struggling offensively, and it's getting and to the I'm, point. I'm glad you brought this up, Mitchell, because yeah. I was going to bring it up, and I actually have their stats lined yeah, up. So if you want me to recite some, I I have one stat, horrendous. and then I, yeah, I, I got one, and then I like you to go down for yours. This is the one that stood out to me, and I just saw this this morning. The Cubs batting average right now is 132. The batting average of all MLB pitchers is 144. So pitchers across the league are hitting higher than the Chicago Cubs right now. What do you got for them? Well, I, I, I'm looking at it now, and it's saying 124. Oh, so but, it's even worse yeah, now. Yeah. Um. They have zero players hitting above 200. Chris Bryant and Eric Sogard are tied for lead, for team high average at 200 exactly. Um, OPS, um, the highest player is 783. That's Chris Bryant, which isn't you know too bad, um, but you know it's not. I mean, Chris Bryant should be you know your best hitter on the team, and 783 isn't you know rallying any troops. The next is 700, and it just gets lower from there. Um, and that Javier Baez has already struck him out 10 times this year um, out of 22 at-bats. So that's, you know, one strikeout away from striking out every other at-bat, which is just horrendous. Um, no one has more than one home run, which early in the season, that really isn't too much of a concern if everything else is going fine. But nothing is going right for this offense. Um, the leader in on base percentage is, is, uh, Wilson Contreras at, um, 333. 
So this offense is it's just not and and this isn't just this year. This isn't just because no. of the last six games. This is from last year too. Last year they did not hit the ball well. Um, last year they they were in a very I think bad division. I don't think the Cardinals were there. The Reds underperformed, and the Brewers weren't very all that good. And you know they won the division in a sixty game season, and that kind of masked um, the problems because you Darvish had a great year. They had a good pitching staff. They won the division. Um, and now you don't have that. Um, and now you're, you know, you, you're not relying on your pitcher, you know, throwing uh, one run ball games now. Uh, mm-hmm. Now your offense needs to generate something and it, it, and they're not. Um, I, I, they played the Pirates in their first series, too. Uh, and that, you, you should be teeing off against those guys, to be completely honest. Right. Um, they're still three and three, though. Um, that being said, they played. They were the playing a Triple A team with the yeah. The fact that they lost that opening day game to them was oh. kind of sad. <laughs> I think they had two. I, hits I remember. I remember seeing his name. I was like looking at the you know the box score while they were playing. I'm like, who's the Pirates? Because you know I couldn't name a single player on the Pirates. I, I swear I could not name a single player on that team. They are just so. Uh, uh, Gregory Polanco, I guess, um, and Dexter Fowler. Yeah. Um, but that I mean that's really it. Um, I mean, there's just no one on that. There's nobody's. Um, and then I look who their starting pitcher is, and it says Chad Cole guy. Um, and I, dude, I don't know who the I, I don't know who he is. And you know, they they got shut out, or they got only one run um, against the Pirates opening day, um, and that's one game. And then yesterday they were getting no hit until the fifth inning against the Brewers, um, against Ben Woodruff, who is not anything special so they're very much struggling offensively right um and when a team does that you know it could be like everyone's slumping and then they could get really hot but i'd put my money on not i think they're gonna be better as the season goes on but i just think they're gonna struggle offensively you would have to i mean you would think it would get better and at some point it gets from they're just in a slump to they're not that good like i mean there's some seasons that guys just get hot and you go on like a magical run uh, and they're good, and that may be what happened in 2016. I don't know. It's it's weird though. It is such a steep decline from what, especially the core in general. If we're just talking about the core, I think it's time to start breaking it up because we saw it too. Not only last year was the offense pathetic, the back half of the year before, where they had a big lead in that division, they squandered it. They ended up having to do a play-in game with the Rockies, which they lost, um, and. You know, it's because they couldn't score any runs late. And now they don't have the same pitching staff that they do. The bullpen's not very good, so it's an offense that needs to step up. Uh, I don't see this team going very far at all. And, you know, I think I, – I, I would think you need to trade at least two of these guys by the deadline. But um, I, I – Well, the point is they have, so many, they have so much money locked into guys like Hayward. Yeah. Um, and, Riz, I, and I look, I understand how Rizzo and Hay, Haywood um, – They've kind of declined a little bit. They're a little bit older. But, I mean, what happened to Chris Bryant? I mean, he was, you yeah. know, 24 in MVP. And, you know, five years later, he's, I mean, what, what do he, I mean, he hit like 250 last year. I mean, right. and Baez, what happened? I mean, Baez and Bryant, I mean, they were flashy youngsters who were going to, you know, be the face of the league for years to come. And they, uh, you know, they're. it's almost like they're, I don't. I don't. I. I. I don't have any answers. For yeah, what it's an offense that's not clutch, and it's like yeah, it's no longer a blip. It's been four years of piss poor hitting from this core, especially. And I. Oh, you know, I was kind of like I. 
I was with a lot of these Cubs fans, the knee-jerk reaction, like they didn't, they kind of low-balled Anthony Rizzo. And I get he's like one of the hometown heroes, but like upon looking at it, it kind of makes sense in the Cubs perspective. Because if you look at his batting averages the past couple of seasons, and I get he's a hometown hero, he's a face of the franchise, he's probably going to have his number retired someday with the Cubs. But his batting average dropped from 293 to 222 last year, and it's currently 105. So is that really something you want to be paying like big money to? Is his cons- the production is consistently declining? That's a guy you kind of need to produce. I don't know. So we'll see how he does the rest of the year. It's still very very early, but um, this is not like a uh, random like cold streak. It's becoming a trend. These guys can't hit. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes the rest of the year. But yeah, you're right. It's a it's not a good division. There's no reason they can't win this division. I mean, the Cardinals are pretty good, but um, I think I think the Cardinals are the team to beat. I think they're yeah. one of the best defensive teams. Um, actually, if you look at like all um, their defensive WAR and all those saber metric stats, that I have no idea what they mean, but I know they're good. Um, they, they're very good defensively, and I think Arenado um, and that pitching staff. And I, I really just don't think the Brewers are all that good. I think they're 500 maybe a above 500 team at best. I don't think they really scare anyone. Um, so I think it's the Cardinals division to lose. Um, but there's no reason why the Cubs should not be competitive in a division like that. It's not a, it's, you know, it's not the um, AL East of a few years ago where you had three contenders for it. Right. You know, I'm actually glad you mentioned defense and I hate to circle back to the Tony La Russa thing, but it's another thing that had me a little frustrated. Um, because they're supposed to be a little bit better fundamentally. They're, the White Sox defense has been terrible. This is one of the worst defenses in the MLB, and it really shouldn't be. Uh, Adam Eaton's already made a couple errors. He's dropped a couple. Luis Robert had one drop off his head. Nick Madrigal is supposed to be a sure-handed second baseman. Like, there's a lot of unnecessary mistakes that are costing them runs, and it was interesting, and I'm interested to see what you think, if you think there's a correlation or not. The White Sox shift the least amount in baseball. I think they were shifting at like 7%. And if you look at the, the, them uh, over the past couple of seasons, uh, let's see if I can. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. It know, was like they, they, the percentage of them shifting. And uh, right now, it's been the least that they've done in the past couple of years. And now, uh, you know, showing it. Yeah, it was like down. It went from like, I think, what was it? It was percentage of, I have to pull it up. Um, shoot. But yeah, it was like it was a ridiculous amount. Yeah, we were like in the top five or top ten of teams that used the shift, and now we're like the bottom team, and it's not even close. I mean, like it went down like the percent of times that we shift is down like thirty percent. All right, here we go. Let's see if I have it here. Yeah, we can pull up. Okay, here we go. Here's the exact number. So it's a shift rate, um, and like the pitch percentage that they shift. So 2018, 27.2% they were shifted per pitch. Uh, 2019, 22.8. 2020, 30.1. This year, 9.7. So, yeah, so yeah. about a 20% decrease. Yeah. That was off. But. That was still a lot. And it can't be, I mean, a coincidence or not with the bad defense. What do you think? Um, You know, I really, that's tough to say. Um, but it is... It is striking. Uh, I mean, there there is a correlation because their defense has struggled. Um, but, you know, and Madrigal was considered a very good defender, um, you know, a plus defender in college and plus defender all through his career, and he's struggling. Um, so maybe. Um, and maybe they kind of changed things during spring training, and maybe 
you know, they're just not as sharp. Um, you never know, because a lot of this stuff happens behind the scenes, and a lot of this stuff might be mental. You just don't know. But there is definitely a correlation. And, you know, even if there was, you know, baseball is an evolutionary game. You know, like so many things have changed in baseball, even within the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you have to be, if, if you're not ahead of the competition, you're behind. Um, and the White Sox, they're not even ahead. They're not ahead. Uh, they're not even in line. They're, they're, they're behind by doing this. You know, it, um, it, you know, it's almost like, um, the teams that just never wanted to change the saber metrics and, you know, keep traditional scouting. Um, it's, you have to evolve with the game and it looks like Tony Larusa isn't, and he might be refusing to, he might not know that that's what you have to do because he's been out of baseball and he might not understand the effects of it. And you can't, you know, show him like, you can't go to Tony Larusa and show him your computer and show him a bus- bunch of statistics and stuff showing this stuff. He's going to blow you off and say, I'm a world series winning manager. I'm a I hall of fame baseball person, brother. <laughs> yeah. I'm a hall of fame manager. I don't care what a nerd shows me on a computer. So who knows? Um, there definitely is a correlation. Um, but they do need to figure out something defensively. It seems like every game they have an error, and it seems like every game one of those errors leads to a big run. And at a certain point, you're like, "Geez, man!" I mean, it's seven games in the season, and I think we've lost we lost the one game because of an error against the Angels. Yeah, uh, Madrigal error. Um, and then I think there's an error last night that led to the in in continuing. Um, I, I wasn't watching, but. Um, you can't give up outs. You can't, you know, give free passes away to teams because this in the major leagues they will make you pay um, a lot of times. So they need to figure something out over there. Yeah, I agree. I I will say this for the watching that opening series, uh, the Angels have a better lineup than people give them credit for because there's not a whole lot of guys you can pitch around, especially from that that two, three, four slot. Shohei Otani in the two slot, Mike Trout. And then, by the way, you can't pitch around Mike Trout because you got Anthony Rendon right behind him. They had some pitching during the deadline. That could be a playoff team. We'll see, though. Um, Yeah, I I, kind of like him. So who, if the... I, I will go through here because we didn't really get you before the, the baseball season. Who do you like in the MLB right now? Yeah, your your, uh, your early predictions. Um, we'll go. You, you can go division winner, uh, division winners, I guess, as we go as we go through it, and then uh, uh, we can go AL um, uh, winner and then NL winner. Uh, we'll start in the AL Central. Uh, I'm taking the White Sox in that division. I, despite the bad start, I still think they are the best team in the division. Who do you got? Um, yeah, I'm taking the White Sox, too. I think Minnesota is very good, um, but I think the White Sox have more talent. Um, and in a 162-game season, um, you know, it's not as hot and cold as it was last year, um, where if you have, you know, a span of 10 games, your season's screwed because, right. um, you know, that's so much of the season. So I think um, going down the stretch, I think the White Sox just are the better team, and they'll find ways to win games. Um Whereas the Twins, I just don't think they have um, enough talent to keep up with that. So I think the White Sox are. Uh, we go to the AL East. 
I got the Yankees. I will say, though, I think the Blue Jays opening series against them was kind of a warning shot. Like, hey, we just went into Yankee Stadium. We beat your best pitcher, Garrett Cole, or got the win in that game. That's a good offense they have there. I just think over the course of the season, they won't be able to keep up with the Yankees' firepower. But uh, Toronto, is gonna, I think, is going to be a playoff team. That's a wild card caliber team. But I'm taking the Yankees in the AL East. Who do you like? Um, I have New York. Um, they're, they're just so talented. And, uh, you know, they they could burst out a five-run inning at any time. Um, just top to bottom, they have a lot of talent. Um, and their pitching staff, too, is um, also very good. Um, and when you can buy the best, um, you pretty much should be one of the best. And they are. Um, that is no exception. Um, so I have New York winning the division, and I have them going pretty far. It's kind of a prelude to my Ooh. later points. Okay. Uh, we then so next one AL West, and now this is an interesting division. I think this is a tough one to pick. A's off to a bad start. That's a good team. Angels we talked about. It's got some pop. Uh, and then obviously the Astros. You know what they can do. I'm going with the known commodity here. I'm going with Houston. Uh, I will say this, though. This is kind of a little bit of a sidetrack. Dusty Baker, who I like. I think Dusty Baker's a good manager. Had a ridiculous comment this week. All the fans have been booing him about the cheating thing. As well, they should. And I think that's fun and good for the game. How it's like a sad state for America. The fact they're getting booed. It's like, oh, like these people have never made a mistake. It's like, come on. That's a terrible, that's a bad take. I think they, they deserve to get booed. The MLB didn't punish them. They basically got away with it. Scott free. They got to keep the rings even though they got caught cheating. They deserve every boo and trash can thrown on them they can get. Uh, I think I, I am all for it. You have it coming. This is your punishment. Yeah, so you, you think twice about doing it again, which I think if they had the opportunity, they would definitely do it again. I don't think they're sorry about it at all, but yeah, I think that was, the, that was a dumb take by Dusty Baker. I'm just surprised Dusty Baker's still alive. <laughs> I mean, when he was managing the Cubs, he looked old as sin. And then, you know, then he was in uh, Cincinnati. And then once he left, and then he went to Washington. Once he left Washington, I thought, you know, he was done. I thought he was going to the retirement home. And then Houston brings him back, not only for one year, like um, the Red Sox did when they brought in, uh, oh, who'd they bring in? They brought in some bum old Brewers manager, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Um and then they fired him. I thought the same thing was going to happen to Dusty Baker. He was just kind of there for, you know, it's kind of like a temporary stopgap. I'm surprised he's still managing because he's, oh, geez. Um, but uh, in the West, um, I'm going to go with um, the Astros as well. Um, they played resoundingly well and beat the A's, who I think are a very good ball club. Yep. Uh, resoundingly. Um, but I would not count out the Angels. Um, like you said, and I never realized it because they haven't been in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, I can never I, – I, besides, you know, the 2005 series, I don't remember a single game the White Sox have played against the Angels. Um, but uh, you, you look at that lineup, you know, you watch them, and that lineup, like you said, you know, it's when the top ends – um, you know, they're back up again in, you know, two or three hitters. So um, up the, up and down, they're pretty good. Um, I do think they get a wild card spot, but Houston, uh, for me, is just, um, I think they're very good. I mean, obviously, um, they've been one of, you know, a blue chip team the past few seasons. Um, with yeah. the exception of last year, they weren't very, 
Yeah, they're, they still made a run. I don't remember if they struggled last year or not. I think they did. They did. Um, they made the playoffs and they they got knocked out in the ALCS playoffs last year. Yeah, that is true. But I think that yeah, they they showed everyone that they're they're legit. They still got some team because it was yeah, tough in the sixty yeah, I games. Think they're legit. I think they won the division. Yeah. Um, even Albert Pujols, that Angels lineup, too, doesn't have to do as much. Justin Upston still got some pop. That is an interesting lineup. Uh, anyway, we're moving on to the NL. Let's go to the big division here. And this is one of the tougher ones. Uh, you got the Dodgers, you got the Padres. NL uh, West, that would be, right? East? No. Yeah. West. 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 California's in the West. It is a... Basically, it's a two-team race. The the Giants and the Rockies, you know. But uh, both teams kind of in an arms race. This is a new rivalry that's brewing here in that division. I am here for it. I think the Dodgers have a little bit too much firepower, though, uh, for the Padres to overcome. But I think that'll be a dogfight. But I'm taking the Dodgers in that division. Not really a hot take because they just won the World Series. But uh, it's going to be a close race. Yeah, I think, I think the Dodgers' rotation... Um, it's just really too good. I mean, they have um, uh, Clayton Kershaw, who's perennial Cy Young. Um, and they have, uh, I can't remember his name. The guy that, Trevor Bauer. Uh, Trevor Bauer, correct. Um, and then Walker Buehler. Walker um, too. David I mean, that Price is still just, is pretty good. He's got some pop. Yeah. Uh, or he's, if David Price is your fourth best star. I, I don't even think he is. I think he's coming out of the bullpen right now. Julio uh, Uras, uh, Uras. Yeah. Um, yeah, they got. I mean, it goes on and on and on. That um, Clayton Kershaw. Forgot about Clayton Kershaw. I, I said Kershaw. Oh, I did. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah. And then um, that uh, their their fifth starter is uh, Dustin May, um, Ooh, and it? he's pretty good too. Um, he's pretty young, um, so you know they're, they're good. Uh, Corey Knable, um, um, too in the bullpen. I think he's still got something left. Um, and now I, I, I would kind of want, you know, if you look at San Francisco and they're not going to contend, if you look at their roster, it's a bunch of has bens. I don't know. Like Evan Longoria is playing there. He's, I mean, geez, I remember him when he was young in Tampa Bay way back when, uh, Brandon Crawford, Tommy LaStella. Um, I mean, it's just like old guys, um, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt. I mean, these guys were, you know, mainstays in their 2010 team. Um, who else do I remember? Oh, Johnny Cueto. Mm -hmm. I mean, that team is old as, I mean, that, I mean, yeah, so they're not going to compete. I do like, uh, San Diego. I think they're going to pick up a wild card spot. Oh, no doubt. LA LA is just, uh, NL East. (laughs) Do you believe in the Mets this year? I think they're going to be good. I was on the verge of picking them, but uh, is the Mets are going to met. So I'm going to take the Braves in that division. But I do like the Mets. I think uh, Lindor was a great pickup. I think they added a lot of uh, help in the rotation with Carlos Carrasco. That was an underrated par- portion of that trade. And then obviously you have the best pitcher in the on the planet right now in Jacob deGrom. Um, Edwin Diaz still scares me. He's still their closer. That's a little concerning. But I, there's, no, there's really not a whole lot not to like about that lineup and, and the starting rotation. So that's going to be a good team. I think the Braves are going to be slightly better. So I'm taking them to win the division. But the Mets are going to be my second wild card team. Uh, behind the uh, Padres. Now, I'm going to make a very surprised pick. And I don't think the Mets, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that they're going to make a run like most people think. I think they're, 
They have talents, but I really just don't think they're going to be able to put it all together. I'm going to oh, – man, the Braves are very good. I think that the Phillies are going to edge them out this year. Really? really okay. Really it's a surprise pick. But, I mean, they have talent on that roster. They've they had talent on that roster. They've never been able to put it together, but they beat the Mets um, in good fashion, and they beat the Braves in good fashion. I know it's early. I know, um, you know, things can change. Um, but they're 5-1. and one. If you look at their roster, um, they're pretty good. They are good. Um, they, they have some talent. Um, you know, Aaron Nola, um, Zach Wheeler, um, it kind of drops off after that. But you know what? You know, they have three very good starters, or uh, two very good starters, um, and their hitting um, is very good. I mean, Reese Hoskins, I think, has a lot of talent. Didi uh, Gregorius. Yeah, that was a good um, pickup. Segura, JT Real Muto, Bryce Harper. And Andrew McCutcheon, he still has something left in the tank. Yep. I'm taking the Phillies. I like that pick. I would actually – I would, see, I think the Nationals would have been well, – yeah, that's that'll be interesting. That is an interesting division. I think depth-wise, that's one of the deeper divisions in baseball because your fourth team might be the World Series champion from two years ago with Max Scherzer and uh, – Steven Strasburg and company on that roster, Juan Soto. Uh, so that's that's another yeah. good team, but I do you like the Phillies four, roster. Yeah, go ahead. You have four good teams, but not really one great team. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, right. Um. So yeah, and then you have Miami. Yeah, which who they could be exciting. Maybe they're in, they're they're more interesting than they've been in the past couple of years. But yeah, I, Miami probably finishes in the bottom of that division. Finally, I think we 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 both. I think we're. A, a, we, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we have a consensus with the Cardinals in the Central, kind of like what we alluded to earlier. But um, I think Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, that's a pretty good one, too. Yeah, and um, I look for Cincinnati to maybe sneak into a wild card, too, this year. Cincinnati's good. they still got a good rotation. Uh, people think because Bauer I, yeah, left I think they're good. rolling over. but Did Especially you... if, if the teams in the NL East beat each other up um, and, you know, you don't really have a – um, and because, you know, they're all so good, they all kind of have mediocre records. And, you know, in the Central, you know, you get to play the Pirates um, a lot. You get to play, you know, the Cubs who can't really hit. Um, so, you know, they might be able to sneak out a pretty good record. And they've got, uh, you know, the roster to prove it. So they could sneak into the wild card. But like you said, St. Louis. Uh did you watch? And I I want to get a quick opinion here. Did you Did you see the fight with the the Cardinals and the uh, uh, Reds? I think Yadier. What's your opinion on Yadier Molina? I think he's a bitch. He's always in the middle of starting things. He's always instigating. Yeah, I mean, I get it. He's been in the league, but he takes this like, oh, you gotta respect me way too far. I know. I mean, he's always looking for something, I, and you know, I don't really. I mean, he got mad because he was mad because Castellanos kind of made a joke out of getting hit. Because um, I, I, if you saw, it, I mean, he like picked up the ball. He's like, "You want this ball? Oh no, you probably don't." Yeah. He just hit me and threw it away. Um, uh, the flexing by Castellanos was a little excessive. People do that in um, the NBA like every day, though. Like I can understand why the pitcher you might be a little upset, but like 
The fact that, okay, so if you're going to be upset about that, that's one thing. Fine, whatever. You're defending your teammate. The, the MLB suspending him for two games is ridiculous. Um, oh, yeah, but I agree. So Yachty expects everyone, like, he was all ticked off that he didn't want a gold glove. He's always starting shit. He, like, he wants people to always be, kiss his boots. It's like he has gone down in production so much uh, since when he, he first came into the MLB. I think he's just, like, an average defender right now and a below-average offensive player at the plate. I think he's in there for his leadership ability at this point, but I am so sick of Yadi Molina. Uh, I will not be sad and when he retires. And everyone respects him, but he expects you to go like above and beyond. And like you say, like kiss his boots yeah. to an extent where it's like, dude, like I get it. Like I have respect for you, but I still have to play. Yeah. Like I'm still playing a game. Like, you know, I mean, what, do you want me to like strike out for you? I mean, it's, yeah. It's unbelievable. He, he has such a superiority complex. And it's gotten to the point where it's just annoying watching him. Um, but Cardinals fans love it. They love him. I, they, yeah. uh, they, would, they would kiss his boots. But <laughs> no one else would. And that's the problem. All right. Last thing before we let you go. I don't know if you followed it or not. Did you hear about the Michael Rappaport, Kevin Durant spat on, uh, on Twitter? <laughs> Which is kind of a comical situation. Uh, for those, um, of, I, for well, those, I do want to make my predictions for um, the oh. Pirates. We forgot about um, that. Yes, let's do that first. Yes, 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 yes. So in the AL, I have New York. Okay. Um, I think they have a very strong rotation. Um, you know, they can they can go on an offensive run at any time they want. They're very good offensively. Um, and I just the only team I really think that can compete with them is Houston. Um, but you know, there's some unfinished business there um, between Houston and New York. And I think New York perseveres and wins that pennant. Um, in the National League, I really think it's L.A. again. I mean, they're just so such a good team from top to bottom. Um, I really don't think. So it's going to be a battle of the coast, the two biggest cities in America, New York versus L.A. in the World Series. Um, I think New York wins it. I think New York, I really like Aaron Boone as a manager. I really think Garrett Cole kind of has his big postseason moment um, in the spotlight. Um, and it's very hard to repeat as champions. Um, and the, the Dodgers are going to face that adversity, trying to repeat, feel that pressure. And for New York, it's been a long time coming. They've had a very good roster for about five years now, um, maybe a little less than that. Maybe four or five years, they've had a very good roster, and I think it's their time to shine. I have the Dodgers in the NL just because they're so stacked. They've been there before. Mookie Betts is arguably the second-best player in baseball. Um, it, they do have a tendency to blow big games, but I think with the yeah, Trevor Bauer was hungry to win a World Series and whatnot. So I, I, I've got the Dodgers in the NL ultimately winning the World Series. AL initially, so just to stay consistent, I said on the we have, we have the high-heater podcast on the unhinged sports network uh and on that one i said the white Sox are going to win the al um early on i'm a little concerned because they lack de- the depth is a bigger problem than i thought eloy amena going down has left a huge hole in that lineup and now billy hamilton's out they're starting nick williams in left field today uh who is a career triple a guy i mean I, I don't know why he wouldn't start Andrew Vaughn. The, 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 he, Tony LaRusse is rewarding the uh, fans who paid good money to see Nick Williams play left field. But the depth's a little bit of a problem. So because of what I've seen early on, and I, I am a little bit concerned about that, uh, I, I'll probably agree with you with the with the Yankees for right now. You're going to have the, the big media market. Because um, I, I'm... 
I want to stick with my pick. I hate to flip-flop, and I don't want to do a knee-jerk reaction, but uh, it's starting to look like Yankees right now. I'll, I'll say I'll say White Sox just so I can stay consistent, but uh, my mind is telling me to take New York. I think you made the right call there. But I, I think L.A. just has too much firepower. I think New York relies too much on the home run ball, um, which in October, it's a lot harder to hit a home run. Uh, and, you know, their bullpen and starting rotation will keep them in it. Uh, that's why I think they'll make it that far. I just think the Dodgers have more depth. They know how they they did it last year. They know what it takes to win now. Uh, so I'm, I'm taking LA to repeat there. Um, anyway, like so we so we we we, we teased it earlier. Final topic: Michael Rapport, Kevin Durant. I don't know if you heard about it. Uh, Michael Rapport and him, uh, Kevin Durant, were going back and forth on uh, Instagram, I believe. And Michael Rapport got all butt hurt. Put his DMs on there, and I'll tell you. I mean, it doesn't excuse what Kevin Durant said, you know, because he made some derogatory comments, I guess. But Michael Rappaport always has his persona. He's always coming on Undisputed, and, you know, you, you see him getting interviewed. Like, he's some tough guy. He's, oh, he's like, I'm a great trash talker. He's a tough New Yorker. And then he's on TV crying and then ratting out Kevin Durant. I think he looks soft. I'm kind of, I mean, you don't root anyone to get bullied, but like, I think it's kind of funny that he's getting ridiculed on Twitter because he's supposed to be this big tough guy, and now he's uh, kind of been exposed for the clown he is. Uh, what were your thoughts on that whole situation? If you haven't, I don't even know if you did. You did you follow it at all? Or um, no, but I'm reading about it now. Um, so yeah, I didn't hear about this. I don't, I'm not big on Twitter. Um, you know this, I don't really go on it. Yeah. Um, except to spew political propaganda occasionally. Um, and I don't really watch the NBA. So those are <laughs> the two things that this is talking about. I didn't really hear about it, but I do see Michael Rappaport a lot on the herd because I do watch the herd. Um, and he does, he does have that tough guy persona. Um, he's always, you know, the fast talk, the quick jabs and stuff like that, the funny guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, exposing DMs like that is childish, um, especially for someone like Michael Rappaport. Um, and, yeah, so, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really know what to make of it. Um, it does kind of make him look soft, but, you know. That's the way of the internet nowadays, I guess. Yeah. Well, there you have it. That is all we have for you. We will see. We will check well, back give, midway through the... Give, oh, me one, give me one more um, plug today. Oh, go for it. Um, I do want to say, um, and this is to you and to the viewers, um, this Saturday um, on FS1, NASCAR will be at Martinsville Speedway in Martinsville, Virginia. And I have to say, this is a very short track. It's only... Um, 0.7 miles long, so three quarters of a mile long. It's a very fun racetrack. If you don't watch NASCAR or think it's boring, this is a lot of close racing, a lot of bumping and running. There's going to be wrecks. There's going to be drama. There always is drama at Martinsville, and it's at 7 Central Time on FS1 at Martinsville Speedway. It should be a great race. Even if you don't like racing, it's going to be exciting. Um, and so if this is a race, if the, if you're going to watch a race. This is the one-to-one. There you go. See, perfect timing, too. The White Sox play at one Saturday. We'll finish watching the White Sox. He turn on Martinsville, I think. So, <laughs> there you have it. Maybe Bubba can uh, yeah, pull off a win here. He's kind of making me look like a jackass with his early performances so far this season, but uh, still some time. Uh, still some time. Uh, anyway, 
that is all we have for you. Thank you so much for listening. We will see if Patrick's uh, bold prediction with the Phillies, uh, we'll, we'll see how that turns out uh, midway through the year. We'll probably check back on that. And the draft is coming up next week. We'll have a little bit of a draft special uh, for you. Uh, we've been kind of previewing some quarterbacks, maybe take a deeper dive to the, throughout the rest of the league. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week.